You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. And welcome to the 42 cast, your ultimate answer to fandom, geekiness, and everything. This week, we're going to talk about another TV series, and uh, you'd be forgiven for thinking that this was an Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast, because the people <laughs> with me <laughs> are the same people that you might remember from the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcasts that we've done in the past. But in case you're uh, joining us for the first time, I'm going to introduce them anyway. So first up, she's an expert on the MCU. She is working on her doctorate, and that is my mm-hmm. friend Jennifer Hartshorn. How are you doing, Jen? I am doing excellent. How about you, sir? I am doing fine. Excellent. Yeah, <laughs> excellent. So uh, <laughs> what's new and exciting for you, Jen? Uh, I'm looking forward to, uh, I haven't seen Star Wars yet, and so I'm, I'm looking forward to that, of course. And uh, I'm looking forward to S.H.I.E.L.D. coming back again after the uh, beginning of the year. And I'm also looking forward to Constantine finally being on Legends of Tomorrow. I'm super excited for that. Yeah, no, those are all things that I'm excited for as well. But, you know, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is actually still on a couple more weeks uh, as of this recording. Is it? Yeah. It's on this Friday oh and next Friday as well. Oh, you're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. I my brain is I don't know what week it is right now. <laughs> I'm, I'm I just finished up a semester and so I'm in that like like gelatinous period of December where there is no time. What uh, what uh, classes were you taking this semester? This fall was game theory, mostly video game theory, and teaching professional and technical writing, which was an interesting class, seeing as the professor is a fantastic professor and has never been a professional or technical writer. (laughs) So that was kind of weird. I I can understand why that would be a little on the strange side. Mm -hmm. You have quite a writing uh, pedigree, if I recall correctly, yourself. Long, long ago, before the end of time and before most of my professors had finished high school, I uh, wrote some role-playing game books, Wraith the Oblivion and Vampire the Dark Ages. And then I got into corporate communications, and then I started teaching, and now you know my life story. Right. (laughs) (laughs) No, I know. I I see, to me, that's really cool that you uh, were uh, writing for the White Wolf role-playing line. So, you know, that's cool. It was a lot of fun, and it was a really great first job out of college to have. That was really a good good time to do it. Yeah, yeah that, that's really awesome. But yeah, it's good to have you back on the podcast, Jen. Thank you. You're welcome. Next up is a guy who uh, you, no one can see his Skype ID, but it looks like the Riddler is staring at me. Uh, <laughs> he is the guy who introduced me to Turbo Kid, and he is the guy who loves comics, and that is my buddy Eric. How are you doing, Eric? I'm doing well, my friend. Uh, my Good. computer is no longer being stupid, which is nice. So hopefully, I don't know, it depends. I might actually be moving to a new um, 
That's going to take so much work if I new, move to a new um, hosting service for the podcast, but we'll see. I'll have to ask you what you're using. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, no problem. But uh, yeah, what's, what's because uh, it's been a while since you've been on the show, so what's uh, new and exciting in your life since the last time you were on? Nothing, sadly. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, like I said, the computer just decided to start working properly, so here's hoping that means I can get content back up and running, because that would sure. be nice. Yes. And as soon as I can start paying Thanos again. <laughs> you need to get Thanos off your couch. Oh, that'll never happen. <laughs> well, it's good to have you, you back. You ever tried to get a demigod off your couch? No, I, I can say honestly that I haven't. Is it like trying to get a six-year-old off your couch? Or a cat? <laughs> kind of. More like a cat. More like a very angry Josh Berlin. <laughs> that's, yeah. Well, that's, uh, I, I can see that. Hey, I don't question it. He apparently likes Josh Brolin playing him, so we don't right. question these things. <laughs> I probably mentioned this before, but my I, I absolutely adore the image that you have of yourself with the Infinity Gauntlet. Yeah, George George Amaro is a fantastic artist. Love every single day I work with that man. I'm paying off on as long as both both strips go up in the last two weeks of uh, this month. I'm paying off on a christmas joke that i literally set up five years ago and paying off on it in the last week of this month so it's going to be interesting to see if people realize that i'm paying off on a joke that i literally started five years ago people can read the strip from five years ago and maybe figure out which joke i'm talking about just look at the uh look at the christmas strips from then you'll you'll figure it out <laughs> but i'm paying off on a joke from that long ago uh, are you familiar with 8-bit theater with what? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Brian Clevenger's uh, webcomic that he did for a long time. Yeah. So that that's a strip yeah. that did like uh, payoffs to jokes from five years previous. So I totally, I totally get what you're talking about. Yeah. Zach uh, Finfrock. He's an artist, and now he works with uh, Loot Crate to do a whole bunch of stuff. But he uh, did some stuff with them back then before the Robo days. Oh, okay. Cool deal. Well, it's good to have you back, Eric. It is good to be back. All right, and finally, the man that. We don't really want to give an introduction to, but we're obligated to have. He is the guy that comes in to ruin everyone's day. He's always wrong. It's my <laughs> nemesis, Mr. Ryan Guthrie. How are you doing, Ryan? Well, I'm doing great, and as usual, you're saving the best for last, so <laughs> I, I appreciate that. <laughs> I'm just hoping that we can get enough good out there that, you know, when you come on, that it doesn't, like, make people turn off. <laughs> I look forward to the day where you're going to see, like... 42 cast t-shirts black on the mm -hmm. back it'll, it'll be like team ryan or something like that you know? <laughs> no, no one would ever wear that t-shirt who you <laughs> 42 cast civil war <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh actually you're, you're, yeah your your skype id is sam the eagle wearing a captain america costume so i guess that there is kind of fitting <laughs> oh that makes me iron man so i'm actually okay with that yeah, you know, you know, I mean, you're fabulously wealthy. What, what, you know, you're a billionaire philanthropist, what, blah, blah, blah. Sure, but I've got a sense of 40s style, so there's that. <laughs> That's true. That's true. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, uh, Ryan, what's been new and exciting for you since the last time you were on? Uh, let's see here. Counting down the minutes to The Last Jedi. I've got uh, tickets for tomorrow. Couldn't talk any friends are going to see it with me tonight. So that's how I think that's how you know when you've gotten to a certain age, when it's like you're, you're not going to do the, the midnight shows or the late shows on a work night. You know? <laughs> so, yeah. 
Of course, it, it dates me even to think about, you know, the opening day being on a Thursday night. Because when I, when I was young, it used yeah. to be on a Friday night. And that's when we would go to the late show. <laughs> and then we didn't yeah. have work the next day, so it was okay, you know. So, you know, before too long, it'll be Wednesday as opening night, you know. Uh, well, I, I, I think in some places it already was. Like or midnight, like the eleven fifty nine showing or something like that, or twelve oh one. I know I saw a um I was looking at tickets, just eyeballing it, just in case I could talk anyone into going with me. And there was a uh, one AM showing today. Huh. So uh, yeah. <laughs> So someone, someone was up for it. That would explain how so many people on my feed have already seen it, although I thought that that was just people who got like the early screener type benefits, not the, uh, you know, that, that it was general admission, but it doesn't surprise me. One oh, of the theaters the... near me um, actually had a 9.30 breakfast showing <laughs> this morning. Nice. There you go. Well, with the, the deal, you know, assuming they don't renegotiate it yet again, assuming the deal that, you know, Disney has cut, to, with the stu- with the the theaters well, for this one, the theaters got to show it just to make any sort of money every chance they get. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and uh, anything else uh, going on other than looking forward to Star Wars? Well, tonight I had to deal with mall traffic because because I kind of maybe accidentally stepped on my wife's glasses and had to get those fixed. Oh, uh, you know, it's you her just fault. Everybody's life. In a place where I could easily <laughs> knock them over. <laughs> yeah, who needs to see? Come on. <laughs> you just ruined everybody's life, Ryan. <laughs> Although I guess I'm glad to know that it's not just me. <laughs> well, yeah, it comes and goes. I mean, I don't ruin everyone's but everybody's life all the time. Okay. People take turns. Oh, it's like that old <laughs> saying, you know, you can ruin everybody's life some of the time, or you can ruin some people's life all the time, but you can't ruin everybody's <laughs> life all the time, right? There you go. <laughs> but if I, yeah, if I wanted to ruin everybody's life all the time, I'd go into politics. Right. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> Zing! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, but as everyone knows, I joke with Ryan because I know he can take it. <laughs> and what, as everyone else knows, I'm secretly dead and dying on the inside every time he does this. <laughs> I'm a terrible person. <laughs> that just assumes that you have anything living on the inside, Ryan. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> I'm like Homer. I-, I sold my soul for a donut years ago. Mmm, <laughs> forbidden donuts. <laughs> I love that. I actually have that on a soundbite like, that I've had on my computer since like 1998 and just keeps on getting transferred to every new hard drive. I need to dig that up sometime. <laughs> Nathan, don't say that out loud. Disney will hear you. Right. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man, yeah, now, now, uh, oh, God, yeah, that combined with the, we're not going to go down that route, I was just about to say, like, yeah, that combined with the lack of net neutrality, no, no, I'm not going to, I'm not going to combine those things, anyway. Hey, Congress still has to vote on I know, I know, but uh, it's good to have you back, Ryan. Good to be back. All right, so, next up, it is our brand new segment, Five Minute Controversies, so... What 5-Minute Controversies is, is that it's our replacement for five questions, which the last time uh, Jennifer was on the podcast, she cursed. And so ever since then, it, it has uh, they've been getting longer and longer, and uh, I decided mm-hmm. that it wasn't really serving its purpose anymore. Mm-hmm. So what we're going to do now, sort of the same purpose as five questions, just to sort of lighten ourselves up, just kind of start talking about, uh, about something, but this time it's just one topic. And so this time, what I thought, 
a little appropriate to what we're going to talk about later in the podcast, is that the news out of the Star Trek camp from a week or two ago is that Quentin Tarantino has been tapped to direct an upcoming Star Trek film. So the question that I'm going to put out to everyone is... Is this a good idea to have Quentin Tarantino direct a Star Trek movie? So, Jen, since you had an immediate reaction, let's start with you. Sure. So, one of the things that that I think all all of us on here have, have talked about before that Marvel does very well is they're not just making a superhero movie over and over again. They're doing very different genres, and they're different genres of movie that have superheroes in them. I think that it's it's and it, and if you look at uh, the Star Wars franchises, something like DS9 is very different from something like Next Generation. So I think that there's in theory there's room for some you know different properties with with radically different you know feels to them. I'm not a hundred percent behind Tarantino's style. Just the the level of violence and profanity just doesn't quite fit with with what I think of for for Star Trek. But I'm more optimistic about it than than most of the people I've talked to. I, I think it could work. I think he would for it to be a a seamless mesh in with the rest of the universe. It would have to he'd have to tone it down, and we all know he's not going to tone it down. So, <laughs> well, you know, I would have said that, but then there was another uh, showrunner who I thought couldn't handle a Trek like property and would do all the things that he normally does. And that person, Seth MacFarlane, ended up creating something that was far more Trek-like than I thought that he was capable of doing. Uh, And so what is the major Mm -hmm. difference? Huge difference. And and I can either, I mean, I can get into it now, or I can get into it when we start talking about the Orville. Well, no, talk talk about Tarantino. I'm a huge Tarantino fan, but in everything I've ever seen whether it be wrote out interviews, actual press junkets, actual stuff. He's never talked about a love of Star Trek. He has never talked about anything related to that genre of science fiction in general in no background whatsoever with with any affination of, you know, just having like any type of love of whether it be classic track next generation or any kind of track. I've never heard Tarantino talk about it as opposed to McFarlane who I've seen go off on tangents, whether it be on Conan or any of the other late night shows, he's gone off on on tangents probably around the time that he was originally coming out, like when they were originally coming out with Family Guy for those first couple years, where he went off about how much he loves classic Trek and one of the huge reasons he got he got Patrick Stewart to be a recurring character on uh, American Dad is because he's a huge Next Generation fan. Like, he's a huge fan of Trek in general. I don't know if he's big on, like, Voyager and Deep Space Nine and any of the others, but from what I know, he's a huge both original with Kirk and Spock and Next Generation because he's, I mean, he got the whole Next Generation crew to appear on more than one episode a family guy just for mm-hmm. like five second gags like there's a reason that happened and it's not just like stunt casting or stupid or stupid writing whether or not people like like the gags or not it's because he has a huge love of the franchise and like i said i'm a huge tarantino fan i've never seen him talk about star trek 
which worries me a lot. And that's fair enough. I mean, because I haven't seen a lot of interviews with Quentin Tarantino. And so when people have said, you know, uh, he's not a Trek fan, my question has been, how do you know that? You know, so, I mm-hmm. mean, it's one of those things that, oh. you know, I mean, there are levels of fandom, too. Obviously, if Seth MacFarlane is, is going off on tangents during interviews, then he's a very big fan. But, you know, if Quentin Tarantino isn't asked about Star Trek, he might still like it. And, you know, he just has never talked about it because nobody's ever asked him about it. But I get your point. I mean, he's not, he's probably not the same level of fan. I mean, the other thing to me is, you know, Jen brought up the thing about how, uh, you know, you can have subgenres within a genre. And, but at the same time, I feel like when you're dealing with a, an existing franchise, there are things, there are elements that make that franchise different from other franchises. So, yeah, while it's true that you can make Star Trek, you know, set something in the Star Trek universe and have it be wildly divergent in tone and ethic from what's gone before, at the same time, it doesn't feel right when it's an existing franchise that already sort of has a... Because even Deep Space Nine, which kind of pushed those boundaries, it still very much stayed Mm -hmm. within the Trek subgenre you know it stayed within that sort of more cerebral you know science fiction examination of you know the 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 human condition and it's one of the things that i think the kelvin verse kind of diverges from but tarantino based on his previous work i think would be even a far far level beyond what the kelvin verse has done with star trek yeah Mm -hmm. barring star trek beyond which i feel like was a, a real callback to classic trek brian you haven't chimed in yet uh what do you think about all this well, I like Quentin Tarantino. I like Star Trek. I don't think Tarantino is good for Star Trek. Those thoughts, there's nothing at all discordant about those thoughts. He's really good at what he does, but what he does is not Star Trek. If and it, But even at that, even at that, I thought, well, maybe he wants to try. Maybe this is going to be something good. Maybe it should be worth the chance. But then I turned around and... I'm sorry, there's a fire truck going by. I don't know if you can hear it. We can no, hear it. I can hear it. You can hear it. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone can hear it. Doesn't... <laughs> Everyone's got an opinion on Tarantino. <laughs> and there it goes. It fades out. <laughs> They're going to put out the fire in fandom. <laughs> yeah, really. But if Tarantino was going to direct an episode, I'd say, okay, let's give that a try. Let's see what how that's going to work out. But the very fact that they're already having to change Trek to fit Tarantino as opposed to changing Tarantino to fit Trek tells me everything I need to know. They're already aiming for an R rating. I'm sorry. You can tell a compelling, great, meaningful Star Trek story without it having to be R. And if you can't, that just shows the lack of an imagination. Mm-hmm. So, I, I mean, I think this is a direct effect of uh, Paramount seeing Deadpool and Logan and uh, mm-hmm. thinking, hey, we can do this too. And um, no, no, you can't. This will be... <laughs> <laughs> this will be... It's just risky. I think... I think this this could very well put Trek back into, you know, another decade-long coma. At the very least, it, it, yeah, I'm, I'm really worried about this one. Yeah, no, I mean, what you said is exactly what I was thinking. Hollywood, as uh, several of us surmised a while back, is going to get the wrong message from the success of Deadpool, you know, and think, Mm -hmm. everything should be rated R now, that's the secret to success. (laughs) And it had more Mm -hmm. to do with the character and the way they utilized the character than it had to do with the R rating. But yeah, I... I, I, uh, 
I, I don't know. I mean, I don't, I don't understand who Paramount thinks that they're making Star Trek stuff for anymore, but it's been mm-hmm. confused ever since the days of Enterprise, where they'll say, we want to make things for, uh, you know, that, that, that established, you know, not necessarily for established fans, we want to grow the audience, but then they throw in a lot of stuff for established fans that, you know, bores people who aren't established fans, and it's like, y- make up your mind, guys, who are you pitching these things to? Because it, I don't think they even have a clear view of, of who they're trying to go after anymore. I, I think back to two of the more recent, you know, quote unquote controversies in Trekdom. One being the f bomb used in Discovery, which I think was an over over exaggerated clickbait controversy. And then um, what's her, the actress who played Carol Marcus? I'm blanking her name. Her underwear shot in Into Darkness, which was very much a real deserving controversy. Mm-hmm. And with Quentin with Quentin Tarantino, we're gonna get both of those, you know, up, cranked up to eleven. So it's going to be nothing but plus controversy. A blood, plus a lot of blood. Plus a lot of blood. Plus side, I would like to see Samuel L. Jackson in Star Trek. So there's that. <laughs> hey, the man, the man got himself a purple lightsaber. We can only imagine what his shirt will be like. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> He's going to be wearing a purple shirt. You're right. That's going to be epic. <laughs> Man, he can be both a Jedi and a Starfleet officer. That's that, that's an awesome pedigree. Mm-hmm. But uh, anyway, yeah, I, this is this is rare. This is total agreement <laughs> on a five minute uh, controversy. But yeah, I think I think we're all kind of on the same page on this one. Of course, we're all Trek fans. I wonder if you would have gotten a different uh, response from non-Trek fans. Well, you know, Patrick Stewart's all for it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but he's coming at it from a different perspective than we are. <laughs> right. He's looking at it as a way of, you know, oh, I could stretch the character in a Tarantino movie and do something a little bit different with it. And yeah, no, I, I understand. Yeah. And he also came from just having done Logan, which was kind of that treatment for Professor X. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, no, I, I get it. It's even funnier because we actually still have no idea what his... Because I think he was on the 13th episode because I read that he was supposed to... Uh, he was doing something for the Orville and we still haven't seen it. Oh, Tarantino? Who, Patrick Stewart? Or No, Patrick Stewart. Oh, okay. Oh. Oh, yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah. So I think it's either in the 13th episode or maybe Seth is still developing what he wants uh, Patrick Stewart's character to be. Hmm. Oh, okay. Well, we've already had, I mean, that's going straight into the Orville, but we already have had at least one Trek alumni show up, so why not more? Two behind the camera and one on screen. Yep. Yeah. Two on screen, actually. But we'll get into that. (laughs) (laughs) Three, if you want (laughs) to... Yeah. We're segueing, but uh, before we segue... Let's pause for a moment to listen to this promo from another fine podcast. Welcome to the Soul Forge, a place of silent mystery, quiet contemplation, and outright mayhem. Join your host, Sean Vanderloo, as he guides you through the adventures of living. Together, we'll talk about life and love, sex and dating, joy and heartache, memories and loss, and so much more. Don't worry, it's not nearly as pretentious as it sounds. Get ready for life, the universe, and everything on the Soul Forge. Soulforgepodcast.com.
we're back. And as we already basically said before we took our break, uh, we're talking about the Orville this week. And the Orville was kind of a surprising show to me. All the advertising made it look like a more crass version of Galaxy Quest, basically, Mm -hmm. which was a Star Trek parody film made, I think, in 2000. Uh, It was around then, if it wasn't exactly 2000. And I was really surprised when we got the actual show, because while there were some of those elements in it, more so in the first episode, I'd say, than any of the rest of them, Mm -hmm. the show was actually a very serious take on Star Trek overall, doing a Star Trek-like series about a group of explorers with a ethic very similar to the Federation ethic on Star Trek. And... As I continued to watch, I just became more and more intrigued with this show and the the, the disparity between you know, a Star Trek-like series and the characters kind of talking in our modern vernacular and with sort of the, the attitudes of a, of a modern audience. And I think it created a show that, while you could say it's a Trek parody or you could say that it's derivative of Trek and, you know, it's kind of got some of that, it, it's created something a little bit uniquely its own. So just to start off, I'd just like to know how each of you approached this show, if it was similar to me, or if you came at it from a slightly different direction. So, um, Ryan, why don't we start with you? Yeah, I probably came at it very similarly. My first thought was Galaxy Quest on TV, right? Mm-hmm. And also Seth MacFarlane, so uh, I was expecting a little bit of Family Guy. And we get that. To me, it comes across as if someone took the very best fan fiction out there <laughs> and set it to film. It's professionally done in the sense of shots and special effects and and as well, but it's got that, like you said, that that sense of humor, that the sensibilities of something set in the 2000s that just isn't there in regular Star Trek. There are times when that makes it feel rough, I guess you might say. It it takes me out of it, Mm -hmm. but then there are times when I think it works perfectly. Uh, So it's, it's a very odd, odd show, and I honestly... I'm, I like it, but I am amazed we're getting two seasons. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> well, on Fox, too. I mean, that's the other part that's amazing. But, uh, yeah, I mean, one thing I should point out is that the kind of comedy it is, it's not like the kind of postmodern-y humor that Galaxy Quest had, where it's kind of like we're poking fun at the thing that we're supposed to be living. Galaxy Quest mm-hmm. takes itself very... The people living in that universe, this is, this is serious to them. You know, while they mm-hmm. might quip and they might say things that are a little raunchy, or whatever that's that's all in-universe humor they're never pointing at what's going on and going oh well you know winking at the camera and doing any of that kind of stuff so it's yeah. it's a different kind of humor than galaxy quest and that's that's kind of what i meant by the, the fan fiction aspect if i were to sit down and write a star trek script this is something that i would have written it would have had these deep meaningful philosophical conversations relevant to our society today but then i couldn't help myself from putting in a fart joke every now and then <laughs> <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Interesting fact, fun fact. <laughs> All right. Uh, Jennifer, how about you? Uh, how did you approach this show? Uh, same same initial impression, sort of ga- Galaxy Quest uh, on TV. A little bit uh, wary of it because I like some of Seth Mac- MacFarlane's stuff, but like, for example, watching, um, oh, what was it? Once Upon a Time in the West, I think. That was um, the least to die in the West. That's it. Thousand Ways to Die in the West. That was 
something where I would be watching it and I would be like, I like this, this is great, this is, and now we're talking about oral sex and where did that come from, <laughs> you know? So I, I didn't, you know, I, I was a little bit wary about it and unfortunately I tuned into the first episode and they pretty much like hit every like plowed through every gate in that first episode mm. and i didn't even make it all the way through i was like this is is just not for me this is just too much on the dick and fart jokes and not enough on the you know actually making a good story and so i didn't watch it for a couple of weeks and then a bunch of people were like oh my god God, it has gotten so much better. You need to give it another chance. And I said, mm, I, I don't know. And the the episode that I, I tuned back in with was the third one, mm. which is the one about uh, exactly with, with Bortus and uh, his husband's girl baby. And I was like, oh, my God, this is this is like an homage to a couple of different Star Trek episodes. And this is really cool. And there, yeah, there's some dick and fart jokes occasionally in here, but this is, this is actually really good. So, you know, I, you know, or, or like in, in the one where, uh, they, they go down to the planet and, uh, what's his name is like humping the statue and they all get in trouble for that. Again, it's, it's like, I love the story idea, but you know, when, when they had that, it was, it was just a little bit like, yeah, I guess it's okay, but but it just it just seemed a little bit juvenile and silly to me. But and now I sound like a total prude. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, I agree with you on the first episode because that one definitely I was I was still a little bit iffy after I watched that one, but I did give the second episode a chance, and that's the one where I was like, well, it didn't blow me away like the third one. It, it, it I, mm -hmm. I saw that they were definitely going a lot more serious, and that it was. Def it was trying to be a, a science fiction series. It wasn't a comedy with some sci-fi elements. This is a science fiction series with some comedy elements. With a little bit of comedy. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think I think that was what Mark McFarlane sold to Fox. I think he told them, I'm going to do Galaxy Quest. I'm going to have the humor. But secretly, he planned to do Trek the entire time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the funniest thing. I mean, because this is a guy who basically gets to live live his dream, right? I mean, it's like, I, mm -hmm. I, I get to do my Star Trek fan fiction and be the captain. And I get to kiss Adrian Palicki. It's like, <laughs> this is awesome, you know? <laughs> so... I mean, it would, it I know what he's doing. Surprise there. me if Ryan is not that far off on his uh, prediction of how Seth sold the show. Because I guarantee, like I said, I've listened to basically like hours of of <laughs> Seth talking. Whether it be like I remember his episode of the Nerdist podcast where it, where it was him and uh, Chris Hardwick talking, and suddenly he's name dropping, you know, like all the stuff that he basically grew up on lo and loved, which is you know Roddenberry and Rod Serling, and just mm -hmm. you know like everything from Twilight Zone to classic track to even Next Gener Next Generation, and you're you're hearing you know like this guy who. Yes, Family Guy is not perfect, but those first couple seasons definitely feel like the Conan O'Brien years of The Simpsons. Mm -hmm. Like four through what is that? Four through like four through like eight, I think, are the are those really strong seasons of The Simpsons, which is what most of early Family Guy feels like before it kind of 
got to that level that it's at now where you're like okay you guys are beating a dead horse but this mm. is very much like like you can even see it with a thousand ways to die in the west not a perfect movie but it's very much an homage mm-hmm. to blazing saddles and you know those classic mel brooks comedies that you can see that seth was trying to portray in in that movie like i said it's not a perfect movie but like you can definitely see who he's homaging and who his heroes are because you can tell in the comedy that he's trying to portray so when you see the show like the orville you know you see that first episode and it's like okay i can kind of see where this is going see the second episode and it's like okay this is a little stronger then you finally see the third episode and you're like holy crap this is this This is is hard hitting societal commentary is what this is something that i've found out from an interview from the guy that plays the co-pilot slash now engineer i can't think Mm -hmm. of his name right now the character's name or the actor but he basically started as like an assistant and then got this job but according to him the writer's room is basically just seth so like seth has so much of like not necessarily a stronghold but like he has so much of like like he, yeah, like he puts so much of his heart and soul into this that like, yes, yeah, so he lets others rebound off of. And I'm sure we see it in like the credits because I'm sure the writer's room isn't just flat out him. But like, I'm sure like that's an exaggeration to an extent. But I'm sure like he'll come up with the plots and some overall jokes and then like have somebody touch up the script. And but you can tell just how much of this is his passion project. This is the thing that he's wanted to do for years. Like you can tell as each episode progresses and the show gets stronger is you're seeing like you're seeing that this is someone's passion project brought to life actually i'm looking at the uh the list of of episodes here and all but four out of the 12 were written just by seth mcfarlane by himself wow okay yeah and the character name you were looking for is uh lieutenant commander john lamar thank you you're welcome uh, is the actor's name there as well uh, jay lee Okay, Jay Lee. Yeah, like I said, he's he's like rags to riches story. The guy started mm-hmm. as an assistant on, I think, American Dad. I don't think it was Family Guy. I think it was American Dad. And next thing you know, he's one of the lead actors <laughs> on this awesome science fiction show, <laughs> and we all like him. <laughs> I, I'm gonna I'm gonna say one thing uh, because this was the thing that I learned just before the Orville premiered, and that I'm that I'm still shocked did not sink it and kill it immediately. Is that Brandon Braga is involved in this series? And it doesn't <laughs> suck. Yep. <laughs> the guy responsible for the worst Star Trek episode ever and for every bad decision in the next gen through Enterprise eras. <laughs> so. Hey, you know you're who... not giving Berman enough credit there. Okay? <laughs> well, that's true. But Braga's you know pretty bad. Is involved in the show? I- I'm sorry, say again? That shouldn't surprise any... Oh, no, I was going to say, you know who else was heavily involved in the show? And this might, this might surprise you, but this also speaks to the quality of how the characters interact and how natural their conversations feel. John Favreau is in a producer. Mm-hmm. Oh yes. No, no, I did know that. And that was good. Okay. That was good news to me. I, I, I like Favreau, yep. but uh, Eric, uh, since we kind of, uh, we, we've been talking about how we came to the series, you know, I always had the impression that you were 100% confident in the show from the beginning, but I know we talked just a little bit beforehand and you said that maybe you weren't. So I was just curious, how did, how did you approach the series? Well, when I saw the uh, when I saw the trailer, I'm like, okay, I've wanted a show like this for a while. But like I said, my exact reaction was watching those first three episodes and not having it fully click until I finally saw that third episode and going, holy crap, this is this is Trek. (laughs) This Mm -hmm. is you know, this is this is what I wanted in 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 a science fiction show like this again. It's actually like 
not heavy handed with the message, but going at the message in the ways I want. And I'm sure we'll talk about it later. But one of my favorite things has been like these guest stars that don't feel like heavy handed. Like it's look at this person. It's like, no, you flat out get like Robert Nepper is a full character or Liam, Liam Neeson. Neeson suddenly. Yeah. My eyes like probably literally just popped out of my head when Liam Neeson mm-hmm. was on the screen. Cause I was like, holy crap, Liam Neeson on this show. You know, I mean, that's when you know that, you know, the show has some, you know, some gravitas to it is when you can get those big, you know, Charlie's Theron, you know, Liam Neeson, they've had Rob Lowe, you know, they've had some pretty big names on the show. None of those people are because of the network either. This is all Seth's doing because Seth right, knows because he's people. had them on yeah. his his shows before on, on the cartoons doing voice work. Yep. And yeah, and I mean that that's when when uh, Liam Neeson showed up, my first reaction was I I was kind of multitasking and I'm like my, I was thinking, oh, they got someone to do the voice of Liam Neeson. Oh my God, that's <laughs> Liam Neeson. <laughs> Same episode, Robert Nepper being amazing. It's like all the times you hear a, a Morgan Freeman sound alike, but no, in this case, it actually got Liam Neeson. Well, it's it's gotten to that point with my wife and I when we're watching it, where we will play guess that actor. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I, I was like, well, that's Rob Lowe. That's gotta be Rob Lowe. And she's like, I don't know, he's he's not walking right or something. And yeah, that it's gotten. Yeah, looking forward to the next season. I'm going to be keeping an eye out for Patrick Stewart because. Mm-hmm. Now, I wouldn't be surprised by anyone showing up on on this show. Anymore. I guarantee we'll probably see like at least a third of the Next Generation cast by the uh, <laughs> by the end of the show's run. <laughs> well, hopefully. Hopefully it'll last a while. But yeah, I mean, let's talk uh, even a little bit about he the... He has the strong strangle... Oh, sorry. <laughs> it's going to say he has the stranglehold on Fox. Now, let's talk mm-hmm. uh, a little bit about the Trek alumni who have been on the show, though. I mean, the big one to me is one of the regulars. She played Cassidy Yates on uh, on yeah. uh, the Deep Space Nine, and that's um, Penny Johnson Gerald, and she's Doctor Finn mm-hmm. on uh, on the on the show. Yep. Which I'm not sure if that's a joke of Doctor Quinn or or not, but <laughs> 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 but uh, yeah. So I mean, I, I you know I, I love Deep Space Nine. So when I saw her uh, in the previews, I was immediately like, oh my god, it's Cassidy Yates, and. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, she doesn't... The, the thing that kind of strikes me on the show, and it's one of my few, like, long-running gripes across the entire series, is that for this Federation-like, or I think they call them the Union, you know, uh, yeah. uh, 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 group, they seem to have such poor medical knowledge of the species within <laughs> their... She's always asking questions of people like, oh, does your species... I didn't know that about your species. I didn't know this. You know, mm-hmm. I'm like, if they're crew, shouldn't you, like, have, like, studied, like, their physiology, you know? So so she's kind of a side character in a lot of stories, but they did give her a chance to shine in one in, in an episode where it, it brought in her whole family dynamic and actually did a really great uh, thing with yeah. Isaac, who's their sort of data-esque character. God, I love mm-hmm. Isaac. And uh, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I, I like her. I, I enjoy it. Um, stuff with Yoffit's a little on the weird side. <laughs> but Norm MacDonald is so great. <laughs> You know who my yeah. my personal favorite guest star on the whole show is, though? Oh, who? Uh, Victor Garber, easily. Oh, oh yes! Yeah. Not a Trek alumni, but yes. I mean, although it saddens me that he died in Legends of Tomorrow and yeah. is, is playing the Admiral in, in the Orville because, oh, I love Stein so much. 
But it's going to be so much easier for him to shoot the uh, guest appearances on the Orville for sure. obvious reasons, even mm-hmm. if he's still doing Broadway while it's while the second season's shooting. So we might we might see a couple fun uh, moments. And if we don't, we still got Kelly Hugh. So. Well, yeah, and he gets to do it, you know, like by himself, too. So they don't even have to have the rest of the cast. It's just whenever he's available, mm-hmm. they can shoot that. Well, I mean, and that's Seth MacFarlane through and through right there. That's how he got Patrick Stewart to do American Dad. Patrick Stewart did all his parts over the phone. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. The singing I Like Little Girls is still my favorite bit that he's ever had Patrick Stewart do. Yeah. yeah. And, of course, our other Trek alumni who only had a little bit part was uh, Robert Picardo. Robert Picardo, yes. Yep. Who was uh, the father of uh, Alara. Alara. Yeah. So it was nice to see him as well, because I love the uh, character of the Doctor from Voyager. I love the character of the Doctor (laughs) also, but also the Doctor from Voyager, so. (laughs) (laughs) Is it weird that that's one of my favorite episodes of the season? No, I don't think so. I know okay. some people had a problem with that one. No, we're we're going to talk about favorite and, and least favorite episodes in a little bit, but yeah, that's something I want to get to. But yeah, that's uh, yeah, we'll we'll talk about that one. So uh, the, with the main cast, um, and Eric, why don't you I mean why don't you start us off? Who's a character that you really like on the show? Definitely, without any hesitation, Isaac is my favorite and <laughs> is going to stay my favorite unless they drastically change the character. Everything about Isaac is awesome. I love Isaac because he's not the I want to be a real boy kind of android yep. that you usually nope. get on this kind of a show. Isaac is like, I'm superior and better than you. And, you know, <laughs> and he's just matter of fact about it, you know, just like, <laughs> you know, like I love the he, one when uh, Lamar even... is like, I'm not suited to, to do this. And, and it's like, well, why did Commander Grayson put you in charge then? And he's like, I don't know. She thinks that I am. And he's like, do you want me to tell her that you're not suited? You know, like, and I, I can detail to her all the reasons. <laughs> reasons that you're not suited you know he's not even trying to be a jerk about it he's just matter of frank about everything mm-hmm. like he's not trying to be malicious about it he's just no. he just is I, I normally uh the 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 seth MacFarlane humor in the show i could give or take but i will say the isaac scene where he decided to, to prank uh gordon back Cut his leg off. That's going to be classic. (laughs) And the actual continuity into the episode right after was so good. That's a new leg. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and then like well after you've forgotten that the the legs had a problem or whatever, then the leg falls from like the ceiling in one scene. It's like, oh, that's where that went. <laughs> but yeah, because again, I mean, he doesn't understand, you know, where the where the boundaries are, and and in a society where you can regenerate somebody's leg, you know, you can kind of see why he wouldn't think, well, that's not that big of a deal, right? You know, so uh, yeah, I, I I enjoyed that as well, and and I know that it's I know it's tropish, but I I do enjoy his relationship with the kids. Yeah, you know. <laughs> Because, again, that whole thing of him having to, like, take care of them while the mom was separated from them and everything, and just his way of parenting and his way of, you know, just, like, being completely frank with them about stuff was just, it was just fun. (laughs) But how about uh, you, Jen? Is there somebody on this show that you really like? I like Alara. And and she was she was one that I was a little bit you know hesitant at the beginning. I was like with with as with so many things, it's like oh well, this is like a you know an ensign row ripoff kind of thing. 
But, and, and I thought, oh, they're gonna, you know, make a joke out of the fact that, oh, she's a girl, but she's really strong. Except that they don't make a joke out of it. It's just a thing. And I thought that was actually really cool. And, you know, unlike when, when we had, you know, something like, like Tasha Yar, where I was like, you're the head of security, really? I mean, I actually can can buy Alara as head of security more because we get to see her actually, you know, kicking butt and doing stuff. And uh, and I loved the episode where where uh, that was all about her facing her fears too. That was that was another, you know. Yeah. And again, as soon you know, as soon as you you get into it, you go, oh, this is a holodeck episode, but <laughs> it was exceptionally well done. <laughs> My wife, anytime the holodeck was mentioned in, in regular Star Trek, she'd be like, why are you throwing your lives away? Because <laughs> there's always a problem. You know, it always becomes deadly, you know. So, yeah, that's that's always the joke for us. No, for and never turned deadly for Barkley, okay? That's I true. mean, that guy lived in there. <laughs> Transporter was the dangerous thing for him. Right. That's true. I am the goddess of empathy. <laughs> One of, to, to give credit to, to McFarlane where Alara is concerned every, almost every Trek series has done that thing where early on in establishing the characters they'll say oh here's Data he's super strong oh Vulcans have more strength than humans and then they never bring it up again they totally mm-hmm. forget about it but with Alara's strength because she comes from a planet with stronger gravity I mean they call back to that pretty much every episode mm-hmm. McF- um, Mercer like you know I don't know how many times he's said loosen this jar you know and then yeah. tap Yes. Yeah, through a wall. <laughs> it never gets old either, which is surprising. <laughs> well, yeah, and I mean, the few times they've mentioned it, you know, beyond that is about the fact that, you know, like, men are kind of intimidated by her because of it, which, you know, mm-hmm. is a is a real thing, you know? But they also haven't, they haven't really gone overboard hitting you over the head with it either. Right, no, 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 and, and yeah. we never really see the relationships that she's in, she just kind of casually talks about them. And there's a new one every week, just to right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, I like they showed her boxing at one point, you know, which yep. is typically not, like, considered, like, a girl kind of sport, so that's, you know, that's good to show that. And she's she's not just a woman, she's she's a little bitty woman. I know, <laughs> I know, she's tiny. <laughs> well, and she, she mentioned she's, she's really young for that position, and that's mm-hmm. why she feels like she's not qualified, but to your point... She's very serious about how she goes about things, mm-hmm. though. So uh, it's kind of refreshing in that regard. Well, I, I think that falls under that whole, if you were to honestly critique the show, no one on that bridge is qualified with, for the <laughs> jobs they have. <laughs> Not, Not even Kelly. should not be flying that ship, you know? I mean, yeah, so uh, Mercer definitely I don't know, I think Bordas. I think Bordas is actually qualified. Bordas is the only one that's qualified. Yeah. Right. <laughs> But, uh, yeah. So so how about you, Ryan? Is there a character that we haven't talked about yet that uh, you really like? Well, I, we've touched on Dr. Finn. I, I think she's a, a great unexplored character. They kind of established early on that she feels like she goes where she's needed, that she's uh, on, on the Orville because... Maybe because, you know, Ed's kind of not the best captain. I feel like uh, Kelly is just kind of, so far she's kind of two-dimensional. Uh, and and M- Gordon and um, uh, the other guy, uh, Lamar. Lamar. Yeah, are kind of just comic relief, mostly. I, I, I The episode with Lamar turned out to be a genius. I didn't buy simply because of how stupid he was mm-hmm. in, the, in the social media yeah. episode. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, mm-hmm. just uh, that kind of 
jumped out at me, but I really, and we've already touched on him, I would have to say um, Bordas is my standout favorite. I love Isaac, I love Alara, but Bordas steals the screen every time he's on it. Whether they're just trying to get him to eat stuff, or <laughs> or they want or uh, Ed wants to learn a, a game. <laughs> 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 Yeah, <laughs> or and and I'm gonna say a word now that I never thought I would say or a phrase I never thought I'd say when talking about a Star Trek type TV show, and that is a uh, glory hole. <laughs> Seeing, you know, <laughs> you, know. you so, went there uh, again. Yeah, I told you I would. <laughs> but no, I mean, I bored it. Even though I think Ed uh, Mercer is supposed to be the straight guy, so the rest of the crew it mm-hmm. ends up being Bordis. Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. A-, a this frowns upon you, Ryan. What's that? <laughs> I said A this frowns upon you. He's, um, he's <laughs> very much the Drex of the show. Yeah, I mean he's yeah he he's the Spock. He's you know he's the he's the serious one. He's the very deadpan you know delivery of everything, and he's got the you know exceptional constitution. I mean, of all of them, he's probably the most tropish of the characters. But then you also have that third episode, which goes somewhere that. I've oh, never seen God. a science fiction series go, so yeah. you know, they they, they they they're still even though his general sort of role in the show and uh, is is tropish, they they make sure to do something interesting with him. Absolutely. I I don't think the if I was going to critique the show and I'm I will the characters aren't the best, and it does tend to fall towards tropes at times, but these are tropes because they work. I don't mind tropes if they're done right, and the Orville's doing them right. Yeah, I, I like Isaac and I like Bordas, but since those were taken already, I will talk about Ed. Ed mm-hmm. is, uh, you know, I mean, he's kind of an interesting guy, too, because, I mean, you don't see that sort of, you know, in, like, a Trek series or, or most science fiction, you don't get the, I'm dealing with a divorce kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And when he talks about the lack of, like, when he finds out that Kelly went to the Admiral to get him the job, that's real. Yeah. You know, I mean, to know yeah. that you might not have even deserved that and that somebody like did that for you that sort of like crushing you know feeling you know and that lack of confidence in yourself i mean i totally get where he was coming from in that scene the amazing delivery of the i am always going to second guess myself now because i don't know whether or not i actually deserve this job because of you i thought that was a very realistic portrayal of somebody you know, somebody second guessing themselves because of somebody else's actions. It's very real. I mean, I'm glad that they dropped the back and forth between him and Kelly from the divorce and everything because that I found tedious. Yeah. You're just having that in your face constantly kind of thing. But yeah, I mean, I, I, I like him because he deals with things, you know, that you don't normally see in science fiction. I love the fact that Kermit is his role model. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I mean it gets you into it gets you into the issue of, you know, why is everything why is all of their pop culture like from the twentieth century? The 20th but you know century. Trek Trek does that too, you know, so you know, a little bit you know the Trek's a little bit better about it, but you know, I, I can I can squint past that. But yeah, I, I, I like that and I like I like that he is a hopeful commander also. I mean it's calling back to that Trek. You know, we've talked about it. People are trying to make everything sort of dark and gritty, whether it's DC, whether it's some of the newer Trek installments. I like that he's a hopeful captain who wants to, you know, go out, see the best in everything, but is also prepared to defend his crew when he needs to. And that's Mm -hmm. something, I mean, that overall ethic of the show is something that I respond to and that I really like. 
I kind of agree with everything you're saying, but then I also think that were I to rank him against the other Star Trek captains, he would come further down than Archer on my list. <laughs> oh, that wow. is harsh. <laughs> wow. But not un- not unfair, you know. Then there's fame. Captain O'Boy oh Archer. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I love Scott Bakula as an ex as an ex as an, as much as the next guy, but oh wait, I'm, saying, I'm thinking of the wrong guy, aren't I? No, Scott Bakula, that's our trainer, oh, okay. right? <laughs> but the reality of the matter is, and again, this just goes back to uh, the humor of the show, where you just you kind of have to turn off that part of your brain. But he's, I just, <laughs> I don't buy him as anything more than kind of the straight guy slash audience view slash humor mm-hmm. of the show. Well, yeah, I mean, Ryan, if, you, if you're going to, like you said before, if you're going to take this show seriously, none of these people are qualified <laughs> for their jobs. No, so, I, so I no, I mean, you have to get past that part, too. But I'm just saying the kind of the kind of, you know, mindset that they're projecting, the the tone that they're projecting, that's the better word, is something that I really like. And I think that he he does handle that tone well of the hopeful captain and. You know, I think that he handles the human side of it really well, even though I agree as a captain, he probably isn't quite Kelly got him that job. <laughs> you know, he probably isn't qualified yeah. for it. Well, when when he finds a cause, when he's you can when you can tell. I mean Seth MacFarlane, he literally his demeanor, everything about him changes. His acting style changes when he's preaching you know, the the ethos of this is right, this is wrong. And that's when he's the most trek. That's when I buy him as a captain. That's when I think I would follow this man. But when he's on the bridge or just wandering the halls of the ship or you know, talking about elevator music or whatever, you know, admitting he doesn't know the name of that crew member. <laughs> hey, I don't know. there you I, are. <laughs> yeah, there hey, you. you. Yeah. <laughs> but I just take that back to Dr. Finn not knowing the physiologies of any of the non-human members of the crew. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, there's plenty of that weird sort of stuff in there of these people are kind of silly and, and shouldn't really have those jobs if they act that way or have those deficiencies. But oh well, that's to me that's part of yeah. just the, the the cost that that's just the cost of entry. You know, that's just something you have to get past to to get into the show. Yeah. I definitely think there's room for the show to grow, and I'm hoping that with the second season they change the show a little bit. You know, take the opportunity to tone down some of those elements that I think are still kind of dragging it down a little bit. But you know, I mean, we'll we'll see when that comes. But you you kind of hit on something interesting there, talking about how Finn doesn't understand or doesn't know just the basic anatomy of these other alien creatures. It's worth pointing out that we're thinking of the Union as the Federation, but it's clearly not. When Bordas is, I can't think of the name of his species, but they have their own warships. And when they show up, you get the sense that this is a very loosely held confederation of worlds. This is not some unified government. Mm Mm-hmm like we see with the Federation. Well, but even with the Federation, you know, there's some degree of tension between, you know, like the, well, even with the Klingons, but certainly with the Cardassians, you know, and there's there's lots of other, you know, group that are not, they yeah. may get along with humans, but they don't get along with each other. Yeah, but those aren't Federation members. I think the better point, or, or, the, or the better analogy would be the, the Vulcans and the Vulcan separatist group that doesn't want to be part of the Federation. True. And the tension that's there. But yeah, I mean, and the fa- I mean, at least in original Trek, 
the different species within the Federation did have their own ships because Sarek talks about how he wanted Spock to be on a Vulcan ship. And in the first few episodes, mm-hmm. Kirk introduces the Enterprise as an Earth ship. Yeah. He doesn't say Federation mm-hmm. starship. He says this is the Earth ship Enterprise. So it seems like mm-hmm. the whole idea of a unified space fleet is a relatively new one by the time of Kirk. Now, yeah. retcons and all that other crap, but <laughs> at least going by the original series, it seems to be a fairly new uh, concept. I, I would kind of say, if, if you want to look at modern analogies, I would say that the Federation is the United States and the Union is the European Union. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, and, and that's fair, and that's the thing. We, they've never really gotten into the government of the Union and how that works, so, so you're right. I mean, we're, we are speculating on that. Yeah, I mean, it's, at the very least, it's clearly human-dominated. Seems like every, with the exception of Bordis's uh, partner, I've only seen I think one of every other non-human species on the ship. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, that's because they're, <laughs> they're they're all meant to be like this is representing the race, you know, kind of characters. <laughs> but anyway. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, let's talk about some episodes and talk about, like, the things that we really liked or if there was one that we just thought was just awful. So, Eric, you've been quiet for a little bit. Controversial. Okay, well, go with whichever one. Talk about either one that you thought was really awful or talk about uh, your favorite one. I love Rob Lowe to death, but that is my <laughs> favorite episode of the whole show so far. I agree with you, thank God, because I've had some discussions on Facebook where people do not get where I'm coming from on that one, but please, please continue. Okay, here's the bigger thing about it, is I would have absolutely no issue with this episode if it didn't feel like, and Nate, you might actually get this one, because you might have actually read the Dan Slott She-Hulk run. It's similar to the whole making, uh, what's his name, Uh, Star Fox, into basically a serial rapist because of how his powers work. Mm Mm-hmm. No, I completely agree with you, because I basically said he's he's Purple Man with less utility. I mean, yep. yeah. basically, I mean he's, he's, he's forcing people who wouldn't otherwise have sex with him to have sex with him. And so to me, this was like a rape episode, and yet everybody's like, oh, it's Rob Lowe, isn't that so funny? Ha ha ha, and they play the whole thing for laughs. Like, he's doing it without a care in the world, and he almost gets everybody killed. Yeah. Right. I, I, yeah. I was shocked watching that episode. My wife and I were both looking at each other and we're like, this is like the most tone-deaf thing that I've ever seen in my life because if they're going to go that way, there should have been like horror and repercussions after it was all over. Yeah, th- that's well, exactly what I thought was was that, was that you know, the whole way through, I'm like, oh, social commentary. Okay, we're actually dealing with this and, and this is great. And then we get to the end and I'm like, whoa, where's, where's, the, where's the moral of this story is, you know? And, and it just... Oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah, Ed and Kelly just kind of shrugged their shoulders at the end. <laughs> well, yeah, not not to mention that, but they almost full on did the thing that I was worried the most about is they almost and they they because they almost do this when they redress it in the final episode of the season mm-hmm. is they almost flat out re- yeah, retcon the issue between Kelly and Ed in the first place, mm-hmm. which I would have had a really huge problem with. But they didn't, or they left it ambiguous, which I yeah, actually le- think is well, kind no, of Well, no, because they, genius. like I said, they tried to address it in the last episode, but they still left it, thankfully, yeah. ambiguous. If they yeah. had mm-hmm. flat out, like, at 100%, like, gone, no, it was all his fault, I feel like that would have, like, screwed up a lot of the dynamic of the two of them, at least, in the show. I feel like that would have messed a lot up. 
Well, I, I agree that I don't know if it would have messed it up. I think it would have been uh, too easy a fix, per se. But I think it was kind of there's a certain amount of um, just cleverness and leaving it ambiguous. Like, well, was this relate pro- a problem with the relationship that they'd already had? Or was Rob Lowe in heat at the time? Uh, you know, <laughs> we, we will never know. So that's just going to hang over them for the rest of their lives. With regards to this specific episode, I, 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 in, a, in a kind of an odd way, it felt like the most typical next generation episode in that there was a problem and then the problem ended up being the solution that fixed itself Mm -hmm. uh yeah so you you can say yes rob Lowe nearly caused the intergalactic war or or at least the intersolar system war but he also may have brought about you know peace to these two species as well that yeah for like what three days (laughs) three days yeah Yeah. right Maybe that's all they need to get started. I'm sure Picard could have gotten some soliloquy <laughs> about how that's all you need. Well, well, to me though, the bigger the bigger issue wasn't the macro plot; it was that micro plot of the fact that oh, this guy was was raping Ed and Kelly basically, and had and had no concerns. Mm-hmm. And he gets off scot free at the end of that. I thought they were going to put him in custody or something yep. at the end and be like, "Well, it's great that they you helped have. us out with those peace talks, but you know, you're not going to be allowed to do this ever again." You know. But it didn't they happen. They absolutely should have arrested him at the end of the episode. I think they missed an opportunity to have that discussion. And, and this is where they kind of played it up for jokes, because then they had you know Ed falling in love with him, too. And so, mm-hmm. which, hey, you know, equal opportunity, that's great. <laughs> but you know, it, it, this is a tough one, because, yes, there are clear issues and boundaries that are violated uh, with regards to this, this person and the species. And maybe that even goes back to the fact that they have no idea how the aliens or the, the species within the Union actually operate. Did they ever address whether his species is, is immune to this effect? Or does this work on his people as well? And in his society, maybe maybe this isn't a thing for him. So well, that's some, there's some relativism there. It's a pheromones thing, right? Right. Yeah. And that was that was what I was expecting to be the, the end of it. To be like, hey, we know you didn't mean to do this, so we're going to remove your pheromone gland. And yeah. that... That would have all kinds of interesting social repercussions and whatnot. And that was, I was expecting something like that. And no, it's just, hee hee, whoops. I will point out, though, this is one of the episodes that was not written by Seth MacFarlane. That's true. Yeah, so so I just do want to point that out, that it's it's not <laughs> it's not one that he directly did. But yeah, I, I feel like it, it was, it was th- this was my least favorite of all of them, much like Eric. I mean, it's pretty obvious what my favorite episode is, because I'm pretty sure we all agree <laughs> on that one. So I'm going to go with my second favorite. And that would be, before I fully reveal it, would you say the evil alien race is closer to the Romulans or the Klingons? Klingons. Okay. Because that's my second favorite episode. It's the one where uh, Ed and uh, Gordon. and uh, Gordon have to go undercover as as a couple of those aliens. The Krill. Yeah, the Krill. And... Uh, have to go to their ship to try to figure out, you know, try to figure out what they're all about and and basically, quote unquote, steal one of their Bibles. Yeah, I, I don't know. For me, this was what I loved the ending of that one. And I thought it was kind of hard hitting, especially when she was like, why did you leave the children alive? They're, they're going to grow up hating you. You know, I mean, it's like... Mm. Yes, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that that was kind of a hard-hitting ending, but I felt a lot of the early part of it was lazy because the way that they were acting on that ship, there's no way that they were yeah. able to get by for that long because they were so ignorant and they were so goofy. And the other thing, I mean, this is getting a little nitpicky, but this is something that bothered me. They, they're supposed to be scanning this whole book, right? And they yeah. only ever get, like... 
they start, and first of all, they don't even start at the beginning. They start like 30 or 40 pages in. And then they only get like maybe like a third of the way through the book. It's a big book. And then it's like, oh, we got the whole thing. And it's like, what? (laughs) So I thought that was lazy too. Uh, But anyway. Here's here's my no prize explanation for the uh, thing acting weird on the ship. I think what we were supposed to get out of it, and like I said, I might be reaching here, is I think they're basically their babblefish, their universal translator, doesn't like isn't showing the viewers how they're perceived by other people. Like I said, I'm probably reaching on that one. So what what the trill are seeing is completely different than what we're seeing as a comedic aspect of. Mm-hmm. Like, it's translating to proper levels of what would be equal to the things on the trail, and that's why Ed keeps getting so so ticked off at him is because he's like, you're gonna, you're gonna break our, uh, you're gonna break us by revealing who we are if you keep up with what you're doing. But it's like, maybe it's translating it into whatever is equal to what they, uh, what they view in their culture mm-hmm. as whatever he's relating it to. Like I said, I could be reaching there. Yeah, you're reaching. <laughs> <laughs> Especially when they don't know the culture enough to be able to make those sorts of idiomatic yeah. kind of switches and stuff like that. Hey, we, we don't know how their universal translators work. <laughs> we do know that they don't even know their religion. So I, I just find it hard to believe that the software is that adaptive if they can't That's even, if, if they didn't even know the difference between, you know, know about Avis. You know, really. Right. So, <laughs> the I mean, difference between I, Avis I and Hertz and... Yeah. <laughs> Luckily, budget never entered into the conversation. <laughs> right. you know, or Alamo. You know. <laughs> but I, I kind of agree in the sense that the last five minutes saved that episode for me. It, and Made it, brought it back to being Trek and profound. If you look at these episodes, of going back to Cupid's Dagger, that was kind of the Ponfar episode. The Krill <laughs> episode. This is kind of the Romulan cloaking device episode from the original mm-hmm. series. I mean, these are where they have to go undercover. And it just... I, <laughs> under And under no circumstances were Ed and Gordon qualified for that mission. Right. <laughs> so, yeah... I kind of, if they hadn't had that last five minutes where, again, it just came back into this deep, sort of thought provoking territory, I would have written that one off as the worst episode. Yeah. I don't know. It's interesting to note, though, that the the ones that don't hit for me, I'm looking at the the, the episodes, they, they tend not to be written by Seth MacFarlane, because that's another mm-hmm. one that it was not written by Seth MacFarlane. And, and like I say, I just feel like the synthesis of the humor and the serious plot in that one just was not. It was not, it was off somehow. The tone wasn't right in that episode, but you know, but whatever. I mean, I don't think it was anywhere near as bad as Cupid's Dagger. I, I just it was no. just one that didn't work as well for me. But uh, how about you, Ryan? What what is uh, your least favorite, and what is your favorite? Not counting probably uh, I, the pilot. I'm not I'm not going to even bother because every pilot is awkward and weird to begin with. Mm, sure. I would have to say that my least favorite is probably Majority Rule, the the social mm-hmm. media one, the likes and the unlikes. Not necessarily because, well, mainly because it, there's just no way a society or a civilization would get that advanced with that sort of absolute direct democracy going. I, I just, I had to turn my brain off a lot to watch that episode. And other TV shows have done that same theme better. So I just wasn't like impressed. Like Black Mirror. Them. Like Black Mirror. And, and just the, the, the very idea of, that Lamar would go out there. They've never, you, (laughs) I imagine that there's at least a basic protocol for, you know, away missions for not violating 
whatever the prime directive is called. That well, they he would do in every single every, thank you. Yeah. Yes, in every Star Trek, you know, you you've got the one where where Archer's dog peed on on like a, <laughs> a, a sacred tree or something yeah. like that. And I mean, I think I think pretty much everyone there's oh. What is what is the the next gen one like that where, where they go down? Wesley falls onto the grass. Yes, yes, that's it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but I'm just saying, I, I even I I wouldn't have ever even even Wesley wouldn't have danced, you know, well, no. pumped a statue. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I'm imagining. I don't know. I don't know what the statue looks like. Who knows if it looked like Ashley Judd? He might have. Who knows? <laughs> I actually really like this one. It's weird. <laughs> Yeah, like, uh, his, you know, Lamar's actions aside, I like the societal commentary that was going on. I haven't seen Black Mirror, so I, I haven't seen what you guys are talking about. But I, I like that. I mean, when they talk about things like this, you know, the 63% of people have voted that this is a true fact, you know, and stuff like that, where it's like you start, like, thinking, like, oh, you know, this is, yeah, maybe. I know where they're going with this, you know. It's a little too real. Yeah, maybe right, that's a little problem. too real. Too close to home. Yeah. Right. So, so I mean, yeah, I mean, Trek did that. I mean, classic Trek did that a few times too. Of things that were, you know, a little the societal commentary was maybe a little too on the nose, you know, kind of stuff. Yeah. But, but yeah, I, I liked that. I liked that aspect of it. Of of I think that you know, I mean, good science fiction does that of talking about mm-hmm. our, our society and making a point. Yeah. So I, I liked that aspect of it. So this was one that I actually really liked. Even though I agree with you that Lamar should have known better than to hump a statue yeah. on a strange world. Well, I, I do agree. I, again, every episode kind of hits on some sort of social commentary to some degree. But this was the episode for me where the only difference between the two species is one is black on one side and one is right. white on the other. <laughs> 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 it's like one of my favorite ones. <laughs> <laughs> It's such a great way of showing how stupid racism is, but yeah. Yeah. But then again, I, I I should say I've been watching Star Trek since like before I can remember at least three. So like I can't remember a time when I hadn't seen these shows. So that might <laughs> <laughs> that might have an impact on you know why I'm okay with certain episodes of Trek. But anyway. <laughs> but uh, all right. So so what's one that you really like, Ryan? Oh oh, that's a tough one. Honestly, <laughs> that doesn't I, say I, much for the show. I'm sorry. <laughs> I said that doesn't say much for the show if it's tough for you no, to find no, no, one that you like. No, I really like the show, but I mean, if you want to find one that really stands out, I'm I'm actually going to go with uh, the finale, Mad Idolatry, mm-hmm. because it kind of touched on the same thing about how it, you can uh, uh, the slightest little thing can can have serious consequences. It, the the entire episode was predictable from beginning to end. I knew, every, anyone watching it who's familiar with Trek knew what mm-hmm. was going to happen, but at at that. I kind of give it credit for for going there and just showing that, hey, yeah, Kelly accidentally saved, well, saves a little girl and she was right to do that, but now she's God. And mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> and then she gets their Pope to renounce her and then he's murdered, you know, mm-hmm. and it, it just keeps going and going. And even, even the solution, even as I thought, well, they're just going to have Isaac stay there through one of the time lapses. As predictable as it was, it's still, it, this goes back to what I was saying about tropes. This episode was tropish from beginning to end, but each one hit for me. Mm. Mm. See, that's interesting because this is one that I felt didn't work as well 
Because, you know, all right, so you talk about things that you nitpick and, and have problems with. It just took me uh-huh. right out when they had the perfect stained glass recreation of Kelly <laughs> from the right. three seconds that somebody saw her on the plane. You know, the idea of this woman that descended and healed the girl being their god, I'm fine <laughs> with that. Because that would have been a story that would have spread or whatever. But perfect... You know, uh, artistic you recreations know. of her. Maybe the, maybe the species has eidetic memory. You don't know. <laughs> yeah, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I, that, that brought me right out of it. I was like, this is ridiculous. I'm like, and she needed to do more than one miracle to have this much of an effect, but whatever. <laughs> well, what knocked me, the, the closest I got to being knocked out of it was when I was wondering, for the 11 days that that world was in our universe, how much time was going back in that other universe? So when the mm-hmm. world went back, was it out of sync now? Was it behind with the rest of its, gal- with the rest of its universe? Or was it in mm-hmm. both universes at the same time? These are the questions I wonder. <laughs> That's true. I did wonder that one as well. Actually, the thing the thing that I thought was a lost opportunity and I kept waiting to happen is I, I really wanted there to be an episode because they talked about Isaac's race and how they're, you know, they believe that they're the, like the greatest and, and, you know, of everything. And I kept waiting for Isaac to turn on them. Um, and <laughs> I, I, I had this idea that when it comes out of the, you know, the 700 years in the other universe that it's going to be like they're all enslaved to Isaac. And it was going to be like, oh, <laughs> crap you know like, and, and this is when like they're gonna have a continuing like plot line for the next season of isaac's people like now like are attacking them and you know something along those lines so i kept waiting for that to happen that isaac was gonna turn sinister and other than the the holodeck episode well, <laughs> we yeah, never got i only did it i was like holy crap i was right but then it was a holodeck so you know i mean to give credit where where credit is due this is yet another kind of ripoff I don't know, maybe Trek is just, you can't do anything without saying Trek did it because they did have, Voyager had the episode where the the, the doctor went on to another planet for generations yep. at a time. So yep. yeah, been there, done that. So I again, it's a ripoff, but I don't know. This one, um, I just feel like it, I didn't feel like, it didn't feel like a season finale to me. I'll give it that. I felt like there should have been something more, but just as kind of a classic, you know, Trek type episode, it worked. It hit. Was was I the only one at the end of the episode though, with wondering if like we were about to see hear the words "Ed, I'm leaving" come out of Kelly's mouth with the way yeah. they're? Uh, I thought for sure that was going to happen. I thought that was going to be like a huge twist. They were going to lose her and have to make, like a new second in command on the uh, on <laughs> on the next season. I thought because for Ed, sure I'm that leaving. Was Agents of because Shield Bobby's asked me back. back. <laughs> 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 yep. <laughs> hey, somebody's got to help the two of them. Anyways. <laughs> well, with the shooting okay. schedule as it is with the Orville at the beginning of the year and Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. pushed back, she could conceivably do both shows. I'm still hoping she shows up on uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. But anyway. Yeah, I, I. but what I do like, as far as Kelly and Ed go, is that they basically... They, they made sure to not take it too far with the divorce and the acrimony, and then they almost brought them right up to the cusp of getting back together and then said, no, this isn't going to happen. So hopefully with the second season, they're just in a good place, and we don't have to go to either of those extremes ever again. And so they've kind of just taken care of it all in the first season. Because, you know, those are the tropes, you, you know. The, will they get back together trope is going to be will played out at some point yeah. in the series. And, and I feel like it's already... I'm already tired of it. I'm tired of it, like, the <laughs> 20 minutes into the first episode. But, yeah, I, I just, I don't think that that's 
there there are certain tropes that it's like oh they're doing something different with this oh they're doing doing this storyline but here's an interesting twist on it the two people that are exes and are having to work together that just that just makes me tired and i don't think it adds anything to the show and i i'd be just as happy if if they just both went their separate ways and and had their own lives and they could still work together but yeah. No. Or have one of them or both of them have a real relationship with someone else. <laughs> That'd An be nice. one. Yeah, you know. All right. So, uh, Jennifer, how about you? Is there one that we haven't mentioned yet that you really didn't like? And, and how about one that you really did like? Well, I, I've, I've kind of said both of these before, but I really hated the first episode. <laughs> right. <laughs> I think that that I think most of us uh, agree that that was that was not not real well done. And I, I agree on the other ones that, that weren't super well done. I, I was I was not crazy about the two dimensional world episode. You know, it, it wasn't bad. I'm I'm kind of reaching because I think we've we've already we've already mentioned the ones that are the most uh, most disappointing. And of course, I loved the third one about yeah. a girl. That was and that that was what made me say, okay, this has a lot of potential because they yeah. were taking. It was sort of similar to the, uh, and I'm not going to get the name right, but the the next gen episode with the non gendered person who mm-hmm. wanted to be female. They were kind of doing that and kind of bringing in a couple of other things, but. I, I th- I thought that was that was brilliant in taking yeah. a an existing plot line from from one of the treks and doing something very different and very interesting with it while still you know paying homage to that. So by I taking thought, out Riker, exactly, exactly, <laughs> <laughs> which just makes it all better. What I like about that third episode, which is called "About a Girl." Yep. Is that the thing that they use to teach Bordas uh, that that you know about <laughs> about what's going on and, and and how he should feel as Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer? Yes. <laughs> that was a nice touch. <laughs> he t- changes his entire mindset about. <laughs> oh, that was great. And I like the holodeck episode too, Firestorm with with Alara. I thought that was that was good. And again, it's like, oh, it's a holodeck episode. We can all tell it's a holodeck episode, but it was well done, you know, and and it had it had more of a, a point in terms of character development. And and there were consequences too, because they were like, you know, you basically pulled a, a fast one on us with this this obscure uh rule and we're not okay with that. And, you know, it it, it wasn't for for once, it actually felt like there was there was some uh, consequences. I I couldn't actually tell until the first death happened, and then I was like, "Wait a minute." Yeah. So 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 yeah. For me, I mean, the problem with that episode and the reason why I probably didn't clue into the holodeck, mm-hmm. you know, as, as soon as I should have, was because it was so many different Trek episodes combined. Yes. There's the yeah. episode where Crusher has everybody's disappearing on the ship, and Crusher's yep. the only one that realizes it. There's the one where they're not getting enough sleep and they're hallucinating. Mm -hmm. There's all these different next-gen episodes that kept popping into my head. And I was going, what are they actually doing in this one? You know, and even when Isaac's eyes turn red, I'm like, oh my God, is Isaac doing something? You know, I mean, it's like they played on all the different tropes in such a really good way that I was wondering what kind of episode were they trying Mm -hmm. to do here and how it all tied back. And that's where they used my Star Trek fandom against me. I didn't really want Alara to come out and just smack Isaac and, like, pop his head off. I think that would have been the, right. the best reaction possible. <laughs> yeah. But then when they talk about, you know, using all, like, the different fears and stuff, I mean, 
when the spiders just start crawling out of everywhere, mm-hmm. it's just like, ugh, and the clowns, it's just like, oh man, this is, this is horrific. <laughs> but yeah, F- uh, Firestorm was the one I was going to say because, uh, you know, we talked about most of them, but yeah, that was one I really liked. Yeah. You know, for just because it was a fun episode, um, you know, it was a scary episode, mm-hmm. but it played with all those tropes so well, did something different with them by sort of weaving them together and then making it a holodeck kind of thing. So I thought that that was really well done. And I think we've talked about all the ones that are kind of subpar episodes, so I don't yeah. really have another one. for. I mean, I guess the closest one that we haven't talked about is the one where, even though I like the Isaac with the kids part of it, the one where they crash on the planet, oh, and it wasn't really yeah. a bad episode. It was just kind of boring. I mean, Sweet. it was one of those, you could tell everything that was going to happen, yeah. and it was kind of just like watching paint dry. And well... <laughs> It was a character well, um, development episode, nothing more. You know? Right. While I praised a lot of the uh, guest appearances, all I could think of is the second I saw him was, oh, hi, John Alkovich, how's it going? <laughs> right. I, I didn't think of him as a character. I was just like, oh, yeah, that's Mal- John Malkovich, okay. Right. <laughs> yeah, He's the only one that I wasn't... Oh, sorry, go ahead, Jen. What, one of the things that, that none of us have mentioned as being, being particularly good or bad is the Charlize Theron episode, too. No, that was a good one in my mind. Uh, I just, uh, I like the Firestorm one a little bit better, probably. Yeah. I did enjoy seeing Ed get to have, like, a new romantic interest and in, mm-hmm. in seeing that kind of evolve the way it was. And then, of course, the twist happens, and even us as the audience were all like, oh, okay, we mm-hmm. hate you now. Please go away. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, other than the part where they amputate, you know, the leg, that's the only part of that episode that we <laughs> mm-hmm. talked about already. Yeah. Just gonna say, I like how she's, like, completely, like, remorseless about the whole thing. And I like the resolution that he's just like, I'm just gonna unmake you, you know? <laughs> Bam, you, you know, you Not only exist. that, but, like, the weird, oh, yeah, you know, I've done this so many times, and we do this with people that we bring from the past, and it's like, that's really screwed up that you're transplanting <laughs> people from their lives and then you expect them to be cool with being in the future and it's mm-hmm. like you're not giving you're just kind of letting them letting them go off on their own end you're not mentioning anything about compensation or anything like that you're just kind of going yeah you get to live in the future now have fun it's like yeah mm-hmm. that's kind of really screwed up lady there was actually a movie i think in the late 80s called millennium yeah. which was sort of yeah. the same idea yep. of people going to disasters and taking the people out of the disaster before they would have died so history still thinks they died but because they took them out you know they didn't really die so i'd seen that concept before but yeah i I think that they played it a little bit differently than anything that i'd seen before and i really liked how like i said i really liked how hard they played it i mean once the reveal happens of who she is this becomes a very serious episode well there was a next gen episode with and i'm blanking on his his name the guy that played max matt frewer yes yes matt frewer yep and but he was actually from the past Right, but it's it's the same kind of thing about about time traveling and stealing loot and things like that. Although I'm I'm amazed that three of the five people that have seen Millennium are on this podcast. Right. <laughs> <Also>. <laughs> <laughs> I, I watched anything with time travel in those days. Yep. I, I think it's kind of a testament to this show as a whole that I've never seen a show, especially a Trek show, that did so well straight out of the gate in, in its first season. Maybe maybe it's doing it because it is playing safe and it is rehashing old old um, storylines and old plot ideas. But I think it also says how, how much this is a project of love for Seth MacFarlane. Mm-hmm. 
that he's crafted such a show that while yeah we can tear it apart if we were to be honest about this we're we're struggling to do it at least in regards to the actual storylines themselves yeah no i have this show overall and i mean like i say there are like two or three episodes of the 12 that i think were weak or or you know were were you know kind of substandard weak for this show (laughs) right from the majority of this show i really enjoyed i mean i i liked the episodes and i was impressed with what they did with the you know with the sort of remit of the sort of silly star trek show and how they were able to make it more than that so so yeah i I appreciate it now really quick i I just want to confirm something uh jennifer and eric have you seen none of discovery I have seen none of Discovery. I have seen none of Discovery. I know Doug Jones is involved and plays a pretty, uh, pretty interesting character, but that's all I know about the show. I mean, I I know a little bit about it, but uh, you know, I've I've just you know read some re- you know obviously some reviews, and I know the general plot and everything. But uh, Jason Isaacs is in it, so that's really the only part that I'm excited about. <laughs> uh, so here's the thing: I've kind of described. So if you consider next gen as D and D three point five. <laughs> I've described the Orville as Pathfinder and Discovery as Fourth oh. Edition DA. Interesting. Yeah, that's an interesting parallel. Yeah. And I I pointed out to you that that logic means Tarantino Trek is going to be Fifth Edition. So <laughs> no, no, because we don't even know if it's going to happen. <laughs> that's just that's just a, that's just an idea at this point. So let's let's not go down that route yet. But yeah, like to me, because it's the same idea. So 3.5 was the most popular version of D&D ever. And what happened was they tried to go for something with more uh, mass appeal. They tried to change a lot of the things that people liked about D&D. They tried to make it quicker and punchier. That's kind of like Discovery, right? And then a different company takes the D&D idea and most of the core rules, kind of spins it off into a different world, but tries to keep that sort of core ethic from 3.5. That's Pathfinder. Mm -hmm. And that is exactly what's going on with the Orville and Discovery right now. And so my question is, because, you know, there's there's a war in fandom right now. Trek, Trek fandom is divided the same way <laughs> D&D fandom was divided over you can only be an Orville fan or a Discovery fan, right? You, that's you know, it's, it's like that. You know, you see a lot of those arguments. To me, that's apples and oranges. And it's they're, they're two shows trying to do two different things. I have my is with Discovery, but that's for a whole other podcast. I mean, what do you what do you guys think? I mean, Ryan, since you've seen all of the, I, I've only watched episode six, so I haven't even watched all of Discovery yet. But but Ryan, what what do you think about that? Generally, I would just say to that if you're a fan of Star Trek: The Original Series and Next Generation, and you're just lukewarm to the rest of Trek, then just then um, Orville's for you. But if you believe that Trek needs to change and grow and just not rehash the same concepts and ideas while at the same time maintaining a core foundation, then you should give Discovery a try. I, I really don't have any problem with enjoying both of them. They're just, like you said, they're, they're both, their apples and oranges are both fruit, but mm-hmm. <laughs> other than that, yeah, that's, that's where the similarities end. Well, you can see with the lineage of both of them. You can see they come from the same origin. And it's just trying to do vastly different things, you know, from the same place. Well, let me let me rephrase this in another way. I think Orville is self-limiting. I love it, but I don't think we're going to get more than three, maybe four seasons tops. Because the way it is right now, there's only so much it can do without just eventually becoming derivative even unto itself. And it's already derivative to begin with. Discovery, by trying to do something new, is opening up possibilities. All right, so Jen, I know you said that you read a lot about Discovery. Do you have any uh, you know, have any opinion on this? 
Honestly, most of what I've what I've read is is pretty negative, but but it's all been I, I've been reading the stuff where they're giving opinions, but trying to not give outright spoilers. So I kind of feel like I don't know what their basis is for making these judgments until I see it. But I just don't like the idea of, you know, and today being when when the whole net neutrality thing blew up. <laughs> I just don't like having to to pay extra for every single little service and everything. So I'm I'm pouting. <laughs> oh, n- next time a free month comes up, Jen, I'll let you know because I actually got a free month for December. Oh, sweet. Of, uh, CBS. Okay, cool. Yeah, it was a special promotion for December. So, but so yeah, believe me, I wouldn't be paying for it either. I'm only watching it because it's free. <laughs> well but i think jen kind of nailed it right there a lot of the people who are watching discovery they're kind of hate watching it they're going in already against it because they had to pay for it in a way that they never had to with previous versions yeah the same way fourth edition DD split the player's handbook into three volumes and made people pay (laughs) for three books instead of one so again i think the parallel works here (laughs) but uh anyway well i do have one major gripe about the overall season I'm a huge fan of both John and Gordon as characters, but the whole turning John into the engineer thing, especially oh. when they were playing up the idiots of stuff. Yeah. Not only yeah. did it feel weird, but it felt like they switched around like a, a very important character thing at the last possible second. Like I feel like they checked out of doing it with Gordon and just switch him with John because John does not, like you watch the rest of the episodes of the season before that episode and mm-hmm. before they get into that, and it never felt like John was some sort of idiot savant, as opposed to you know it would make a lot more sense for Gordon's character for like him to be playing up the idiot role and then suddenly turn around and be like, uh, no, he's actually one of the smartest people on this ship at the moment. Like I think that would have been like a pretty good mm-hmm. reveal. I feel like they very much went into. Jordy LaForge territory there. Well, that's what I was thinking. I was like, did they do this because Jordy was the helmsman that became the engineer? Because yep. that's the only yep. reason I can see for it. That's well, not what I got. Well, what I was thinking personally, and, and this totally comes from, from being a teacher, was that it was some test that he had taken, apparently, that, that proved that he was this super genius. And I thought it was going to be something where, you know, it turned out actually he's he's just average, but he just happened to, you know, you know, the fact that tests don't accurately test anything except how well you can take that test. And, and it was going to be like, oh, and so the moral of this story is don't pay attention to standardized tests. Or, or he figured out the pattern. You know, as kids, we were always right. trying to figure out yeah. the pattern on yeah. the Scantron. A, B, B, A, C, B, A. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, it's a pattern. There must be a pattern. Or, or he just, he, he just <laughs> cheated off the kid next Sorry. to him, you know. Right. Uh, that, that, honestly, I thought that's where they were going to go. He cheated off the kid next to him. But then I realized, for me, it was the whole, oh, we find out that, you know, Bashir is actually hiding his abilities as right. well. Yeah, that's, yep, that's, that's exactly what I was thinking, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. So. But I, like I said, I just thought it would be more interesting to kind of play around with Gordon that way and have him try to be like, try to be the ship's new engineer and be like the clueless idiot at first. And then like over time, he would get better at the job, but still screw up and have to like have to uh, rely on um, on uh, Norm's character and a couple of the other characters that we see. I think that would have been a lot more interesting 
because it feels like John, they just going to fit into the role. And you see at the end of that episode, he's and then the episode after that, he's just kind of slid his way into that position. And he seems he seems fine. He doesn't seem like he's struggling with it at all. So I feel yeah. like it's a major character misstep. I mean, I could be wrong in the second season. Well, only time will tell. But like I said, I feel like they kind of switch those two at the last, like Seth and his script switch, switch those two at the last possible second. Which I, I think is kind of a shame because the the previous engineer uh, Newton, I kind of liked him. I don't know why. I do. but, yeah, I thought the he Barry had Manilow potential. conversation was yeah. great. <laughs> <laughs> Getting back to the discovery thing, I, I'm just going to say this uh, part of it, and and again, it's a little unfair because I've seen the whole season of The Orville. I've only seen the first six of Discovery. I feel like kind of hearkening back to our Tarantino discussion, there is a there's a struggle right now for the heart of what is Star Trek. Because mm-hmm. I don't feel like Discovery is Star Trek as Star Trek has been done before. You know, every people who are fans of Discovery talk about how it's the you know the the, the series needs to change, it needs to grow. But I always go back to there are certain things that define Star Trek as what it is, and it's more than just a setting, you know, and that there's a certain mindset that that needs to be part of Star Trek. Now, the, your mileage may vary on that, and and you know I'm not going to get into that. But to me, the Orville carries the ethic of Trek far better than Discovery does. And so while I think that the shows are very completely different and you can't compare the one to the other, if you're looking for a successor to the Trek mantle, then I think mm-hmm. that Orville is the more fitting successor to the mantle. And I, I know Ryan wants to say something, so Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I... I, I get where you're coming from, and I agree with you that there is a certain certain je ne sais quoi to Trek that is more than just in any specific show. There is a, a through line from through Star Trek from series to series I agree with. I think, however, Orville only inherits the original series in Next Generation. A Discovery is more the the appropriate be- inheritor. And Nathan, you haven't seen the entire series yet, uh, and there's still more to come. It's hard to judge any series based off of you know the fir- first half of the first series to begin with. But I-, I think you'll find, at least I hope, you'll find that as it goes on, and as a lot of the problems that people have with Discovery are addressed, that it actually does contain that spirit of Trek in a way that Orville is just emulating. And that's fair enough, and that's why I predicated what I said on, I've only seen six episodes, so yeah, I, I get yeah. that, and I yeah. get that it's it's limited, yeah. and I just, my initial impression, if if I went by his first six episodes of Orville versus first six episodes of Discovery, I was happier with the first six episodes of the Orville than with Discovery. It's apples and oranges, it's kind of hard, but I just know, like, the Orville, it's like my wife and I were saying, I'm intrigued, or sorry, I'm intrigued by Discovery. I enjoyed watching the Orville. I had a good mm-hmm. time. I, I, you know, I laughed. I, I was into it. You know, Discovery, it's kind of like, oh, this is interesting. I wonder where they're going with that. You know, but this element is kind of neat, but I'm not really getting into it. I'm not caring about the characters like I should, you know, so we'll see. And maybe that'll all be addressed and maybe it will, you know, be, I'll, I'll be much more into it by the time I get to the ninth episode. Well, I do think both series kind of suffer from weak characters. but uh, and, and I do agree that Orville has hit the ground running in a way Discovery hasn't. I, I just think that when all is, is said and done, that we're going to look that that Discovery has more Trek in it, in its spirit, in a way that uh, Orville doesn't. Like, I think this goes back to Orville being fan fiction. Sure. Mm-hmm. No, and I, and I get what you're saying. And I mean, I, this, this is the thing that I always want to divorce is the idea of, 
Yes, I get that, you know, CBS has the legal rights to Star Trek, so I get that whatever they produce is Star Trek. But like I said, I feel like there is a quality to Trek that just because you put the name on it, it doesn't make it sure. and set it in the quote unquote federation. It doesn't make it necessarily Trek. And that's and, and that's one of those things. I and mean, there will always be debates about that, about what makes it Trek, you know, over uh, you know, something else. Well then then let me put to you let me put to you this way. I feel like Discovery is more Trek than the Kelvinverse is. Mm-hmm. Okay. No, we'll see. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm looking forward to watching the rest of it. I just, like I say, it's more of a cerebral thing right now. Where I'm just kind of like, this is kind of interesting. I just want to see where they go with it. And that's what Trek is supposed to be. Trek is cerebral. Orville is Well, but it's not, not cerebral in the face. And, 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 and like, like the episode engages me cerebrally. It's more like, I just want to see where these plot elements go kind of thing. Uh, kind of, but anyway. <laughs> that's the discovery podcast. <laughs> i'm not gonna turn this into the discovery podcast <laughs> but, and yet you did you know? right well i just wanted to talk about it in the connection of the fact that this is a a split in fandom right now i've seen the arguments on facebook both pro and con both shows and it seems to be one of those things that it's one of these stupid arbitrary things that fandom throws up of yeah, I- you can only be a fan of x or y and not both you know it's the star wars star trek you know, or any other arbitrary distinction Marvel, that, you know, yeah, right, Marvel, DC, yeah. you, go, you you can't be fans of both of those. So, you know. No, no, of course not. <laughs> well, this is what fandom does. <laughs> so before we sign out, Eric, do you have anything that, uh, that you, else that you wanted to say about the Orville? Well, yes. Yes, I do. <laughs> it totally isn't the third try doing it. Yeah, that's right. I just messed up your editing. Uh, <laughs> I really hope that if not, well, definitely in season two, I would love to see some sort of self-replicating creature like a Tribble or a Gremlin show up and on the ship and completely mess with the crew. I think Bordas and Bordas's reaction alone would be the greatest, but I can see Ed Mercer just losing his mind trying to figure out how to stop a creature uh, that has arrived or landed on a ship somehow from taking over the ship by replicating itself 50,000 times. I think it would be a very fun idea, and I can very easily see Seth MacFarlane writing an episode like that. Bordis would just eat it. Since they love the 20th century pop culture references, they should be like Tickle Me Elmo doll lookalikes, and they just <laughs> yeah. replicate and get everywhere. And it's like <laughs> the cutesiness, so just like, it's too much, you know? <laughs> or like the, the DC that uh, Legends of Tomorrow used for the mid-season finale. Sort Bebo. Of like that. Yes! Oh my god. It was <laughs> Bebo awesome. hungry! <laughs> <laughs> he hungers for battle! <laughs> Our god wanted... <laughs> and global warming which is also real <laughs> and jennifer how about you is there anything uh, about the orville that you wanted to say before we sign out no i mean i'm just i'm just very uh very pleasantly surprised after that that first just awful start there <laughs> i'm very glad that that i've got friends whose whose opinions i trust who said no this is worth giving it another shot and i'm glad that i listened and ryan how about you is there anything uh, about the orville that you wanted to mention that we haven't talked about i will say just real quick before you get a fan letter about it that huh. seth mcfarlane was in what one or two episodes of enterprise so he also yep. counts mm-hmm. as a uh, trek alumni that's um, true with oh. regards to the series otherwise wh- I would just say that 
I love the show. It's great, but I do feel like it's going to have to find kind of a, a non-Trek identity going forward by the second or third season if it wants to to continue. Otherwise, it's just going to um, just have to keep copying itself and copying Trek over and over again, which that's fun. That's great. But I think it has the potential to be more than that. Yeah. One thing that we didn't mention is how much they've taken from Trek. Like, even the sounds of the door chimes, yeah. you know, sound just like the door chimes on the Enterprise. The theme music is very Star Trek. You know, like, so yeah. so many of the design elements. I mean, you can tell the things that are actual copyrighted kinds or trademark kinds of things, because, like, the ship doesn't have two nacelles, so that must be something that they do. <laughs> it's got quantum drive instead of yeah, it looks like the yeah. It looks like the back of a Minbari's head instead. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, they've changed the color scheme command is right blue there's no transporter <laughs> so transporters must be another thing that are you know copyrighted uh you know for track uh but yeah i mean it's it's that they've definitely done as close to i mean especially with how bad paramount's gotten with fan videos mm-hmm. and stuff like it amazes me they have nothing to sue the orville over <laughs> You know, so, it's so so many things that i would think would infringe that uh that don't but, but they're oh well. parody and they're they're not just an homage. They're they're specifically booked as being a parody, which means they get away with a lot more stuff than you know just a fan film, fanfic kind of thing can. And that means okay. the fart jokes are legally required. <laughs> yeah, pretty right. much. <laughs> so Seth MacFarlane found a way to sidestep the fan film thing by pretending it's a legitimate production. Is what you're saying. <laughs> That's awesome. But, um, all right, so I think we're all in agreement, though. This is a show that we would recommend to others, right? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. All right. So um, let's say our sign-outs and, uh, and get out of here. So, um, Ryan, why don't you say goodbye and let people know where they can find you? Yeah, uh, not going to do it. Never saying goodbye. However, you can find me on Facebook and Twitter at GeekStranger. You can even do GeekStranger.com if you want. It'd be great to see my visitors rise up into double digits although frankly <laughs> there's nothing new there so why you would want to actually uh, all your visitors are me clicking back like on a fairly <laughs> regular base to see if you finally like <laughs> you, you know go. mentioned more of the podcast episodes it's <laughs> <laughs> nathan you know keeping track of me you know right. uh, but yeah you can also find me following these fine people on our social media and just pointlessly engaging arguments with them sometimes sometimes even when i know better sometimes even when I feel like there's nothing there or like I'm <laughs> in the wrong, I'll still do it just you know, just for, you know, shits and giggles. Yeah. <laughs> and if you find me. <laughs> All right. <laughs> awesome. All right. So, Eric, why don't you say goodbye and let people know where they can find you? Um, Hello, Internet. How are you today? <laughs> <laughs> Eric doesn't know whether we're coming or not right now. <laughs> I think no, he, I just felt I, like copying Ryan with the never saying goodbye. So, ha. Oh, okay. You can find me on the internets via my Twitter, which is just uh, at Eric Ratcliffe. I know. So original. So, so difficult. And you can find everything that I do through there. Especially now with the extra, um, what is it, 120 characters <laughs> now? Uh, yeah. Now it's even easier to, like, annoy the heck out of people. Uh, but yeah, just follow me on Twitter and you can find out about pretty much everything else I'm up to from there. And hello again, Internet. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And yes, like you, I really have appreciated the increase in the Twitter limit because I never could get a complete thought into 160 characters. So it's, it's, been, uh, it's been helpful. Moments. Right. Uh, so, uh, Jen, why don't you say goodbye and let people know where they can find you? 
All right. So you can't find me because I'm 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 basically hermiting up and trying to do this doctorate. But I do occasionally stick my head out. I'm going to be guesting on the Christmas episode of Earth Station Who, which is going to be nice to get back with my old uh, crewmates over there. I am hopefully over this Christmas break going to get the three uh, episodes of Earth Station MCU that are recorded that I haven't gotten around to editing. Hopefully those will be out by the end of the year and we will be able to get on a once a month schedule for putting out Earth Station MCU, which I love doing. I just have no time to edit stuff. And I'm on Facebook because we're all on Facebook. Yep. I feel your pain, Jen, about the editing. Yep. Yeah. But Ryan, Eric, and Jennifer, thank you so much for being on the episode today. Thanks Thanks for having us. Of course, man. And that's it for our Orville episode. As you may have noticed, we've been kind of behind on getting out some of these episodes, but things are starting to look up and schedules are starting to align correctly where I think that we're going to get caught up over the next couple of months on some of the episodes that we've been meaning to put out there. But for now, uh, we are going to have some things that are slightly out of date as we catch up uh, with the new series that have been debuting over the last couple of months. Uh, So just bear with us on that. But uh, let us know what you thought of the episode. You can do that in a variety of ways. One way is by emailing us at everything at 42cast.com. You can also tweet to us at at 42cast. You can leave us feedback on Facebook at facebook.com slash 42cast. Or you can go to our website and leave feedback at 42cast.com. You can also leave us reviews on Stitcher Radio or iTunes. Also, make sure and check out uh, the ESO Patreon. You can do that by going to patreon.com and looking for the uh, ESO uh, network Patreon. Um, When you do that, um, you can get exclusive episodes of the 42 cast as well as all the different shows on the ESO network. And by contributing some money uh, to the Patreon, uh, you're helping us all to keep our shows uh, on the air. But with that being said, uh, it is time for us to wrap up for the week. Uh, Please join us back next time when Anson Mount will not be joining us. And until then, this is Nathan signing off. You've been listening to the 42 cast copyright 2018. Got a question for the ultimate answer? Contact us at everything at 42 cast.com. Theme music is sharper swords by Brandon Ellis. Check out more of his work at www.cityfires.com. Incidental music is provided with permission by Fur DK. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping through Amazon.com or the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.